Well, welcome everybody to the beautiful Heights Theater. I'm so glad you joined us today. We just had to get out of the house a little bit and try a new place, and we have loved our relationship with the Heights Theater. When we started West End Church about four years ago, we were looking for community partners that we could do things with, and the Heights Theater has been awesome to us, and we just wanted to broadcast from here. So one day... Live music will return to our city, and I want you to make sure you come down to the Heights Theater on 19th Street and partake. It's going to be amazing. Well, welcome. If you're new to River Point or West End, we want to know who you are. So if you'll fill out that welcome card, especially if you're watching on a Sunday, you can click the deal or follow the directions or whatever. We just want to know your name. So please fill out the card. Let us know that you're here. I always say hi to my mom who watches in Western Maryland. You know, the high temperature in Western Maryland this week was like 78 degrees. Terrible. Anyway, so mom, I hope you're doing great and staying cool for sure. Well, we're in a series called Not What You Think, okay? Not What You Think, because I think there's so many surprises. There was this wristband that went around years ago that said, what would Jesus do? And that sounds like a kind of an easy thing. Well, what would Jesus do? But the reality is Jesus was totally unpredictable. It was very difficult in real time in the first century to decide what is Jesus going to do? So that's why Jesus asked us to come and be a follower of his, because he wants us to follow him, not just predict what he would do. So we're in this not what you think, and we're going to look at one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, because it's full of great story. Okay, full of great surprises, sorry. Full of great surprises. So here's the story. So the story is Jesus shows up in a place called Capernaum, and he this area serves in his ministry, early ministry as their headquarters. And it's likely that Jesus ended up in the house of Simon Peter. So they're in Simon Peter's house and they're in there. Now, Jesus had gotten a lot of uh, uh, accolades and a, a lot of fame. Everybody wanted to hear what Jesus was up to and saying. So the house was very crowded. So that's the setting, right? So here's what it says in Mark chapter Here's what it says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So this sets the scene for us. You can kind of see now the houses in first century Capernaum were not large, so, but people were jammed in there. Now, as you would expect, I don't know where Jesus was standing, probably somewhere in the living room area or the general area, and everybody was facing inward, listening to this great new uh, sort of rabbi teach these great truths from God. It was a religious crowd for the most part, and they were generally, we have to assume, genuinely interested in hearing what this new teacher had to say. And they were packed in the house. That's an important piece of this picture. They were packed in the house, and there was not another person that could got into that house. And that sets the stage for what we're going to read next. Some men bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them, since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. So 
this is an amazing, not what you think kind of moment. It was one of those deals. This paralyzed guy had a very rough life in the first century. I mean, having any kind of handicap is difficult in any season of life or any time of life. But in the first century, it was particularly difficult. We don't know why this man was paralyzed. We don't know what his ailment was. But we do know this. He had some friends, which is really important. He had these friends. And and these friends, four of the friends, we don't know exactly how many, but a lot of friends said, listen, here's the deal. Jesus, who's been doing all these miracles, he's in, this, he's in the house of Peter and he's teaching. If we could just get our friend who's paralyzed to Jesus, maybe something amazing would happen. So pay attention to these friends because we need to be these kind of people to the people in our lives. They saw a need and they saw the only person that could meet their friend's need was God. And so they were committed uh, risking their own in, sort of uh, uh, sense of um, uh, pride as people. They just said, we're going to drag our friend to Jesus. Now, we don't know how the paralyzed man responded, right? We don't know if he was cooperative, like, yes, take me to Jesus, or what are you guys doing? This is crazy. We don't know how many friends he had, but we know four of them picked up this guy's mat, and they were taking him to Jesus. So what I want you to see is this. They believed, right or wrong, they believed Jesus could help them more than they could, help their friend more than they could help their friend. Now, we don't know if he was willing, but we know the man had no choice and he was dragged to Jesus by his friends. Now, the friends would not be denied because when they got to the front door, they couldn't get the paralyzed man in because he was on a mat. You can see that, right? But they would not be denied. So this is sort of the next, not what you think kind of moment. They, they had this idea that if they could get to the roof, which was easy to do in the first century home there, and they could dig through the roof, they would, para, they would lower the paralyzed man down. Now, I don't know, uh, but I don't know if you've ever tried to carry a stretcher up a set of stairs, which was common in that day. They had an outside set of stairs to a flat roof, but it had to be sort of nervous, you know? And then they had to start sort of digging through the roof so that they could lower this man down. And the point here is what I want you to see here is the passion and the commitment these friends had to their friend the friends would not be denied. It's really important. The scene in the house uh, is, is really a, a kind of amazing. Everybody in the house was turned inward. Nobody was looking outward to who else needs to hear this, but these people were. And they wanted their friend to come and join in so that Jesus could do something in this man's life. It was a sort of this powerful thing that was happening. So I love the fact that these friends wanted to take their friend to Jesus. But um, I, I, just, I just can't imagine, um, you know, how that was such a showstopper when Jesus was teaching and then all of a sudden you see dirt starting to fall down from the roof and everybody's attention now isn't, Jesus had to stop teaching. Surely he's had to stop teaching. And all of a sudden the, the, the roof opens up and there's a small hole. Now, I don't know if this happened. I make stuff up all the time, so bear with me. But if I were to dig a hole through this roof, which is a mud roof, right? Once I got through enough 
daylight through that roof, I would be so tempted as one of these friends to stick my head through the roof and say, hey guys, what's going on? It would just be such a spectacle. But they kept digging and digging and digging until, right, until they had it big enough to lower this man down to Jesus. Now that must have been a very tense moment because I don't know how they did that. Did they put ropes on the four corners of the mat and lower them down? And do you lower them down all at once? I mean, that just must have been a scary, scary thing, intense and a lot of oohs and ahs going on. But it demonstrates the passion these men had for their friend. So th- th- there, are, there are people around us is the point for me with physical and mental needs or uh, they're oppressed or marginalized in some way. And they need to know that God cares about them and we care about them. So we have to move. We have to act. We wanna see God work in a miracle in our life. But what's more important than that, more powerful than that is when we see God work in our friend's life. We are able, wherever you are, to identify the needs of the people that God's put in your life right now. And you know, if they would only come in contact with the compassion and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ, that their life would be completely different. And what I want you to see in this story is this, is that God uses people to reach people. And there's this connection that when these friends drug their paralyzed friend to Jesus, I think it's an illustration of what we are to do as a church. Now, here's the important part. Mark chapter two, verse five. This is important. It's not really what you think. This is a big moment. When Jesus saw all that they went through, the Bible says in verse two, I mean, chapter two, verse five, it says, it says this, Jesus saw their faith. Did you catch that? He saw their faith. So, and I don't know how this works, but Jesus saw the faith of the friends, not the faith of the paralyzed man who had the need. That the faith of the friends was a powerful powerful force with Christ. And Jesus saw their faith and he wanted to help because of the faith of their friends. Now, we don't even know if the man who was being lowered believed in God at all. We don't know if he believed Jesus could help at all. It didn't seem like he had much of a vote in what was going on. His friends determined that Jesus was the answer to his problem. And they didn't really know what God was going to do in this moment. But they had faith that something good was going to happen. You see, this is an important lesson for your faith and for my faith. Because faith is needed because there's so many obstacles in our way. There's some theology out there that says this, that says, if I have faith in God, that God is going to clear out all the obstacles. Sort of like the Red Sea, it's just gonna part the sea. And I'm gonna walk through on dry land. And if I really have enough faith, or if God's really gonna work on my behalf, things are going to be easy. But we just hardly ever find that to be true in the Bible. What we see in the Bible is that this, we need faith because there are obstacles. In fact, faith won't remove our obstacles, but faith in God will give us the passion and the drive to overcome those obstacles. 
So I know in this season, you're probably facing many different obstacles and you're wanting God to change your circumstances or provide for you or clear the path or do something amazing in your life. And I just want to tell you that maybe God's given you enough faith to keep stumbling forward, to keep pressing on, to see an obstacle and have a creative solution. I mean, look at these men. They went up on the roof and they dug through the hole and they lowered their friend down. I mean, this was totally unusual. So there's significant obstacles in our lives. So finding the miracle that you need and that I need will, will require of us to have a faith to keep moving toward Jesus, to keep pressing in. These guys made their way on the roof and they lowered that stretcher and they dug that hole through that to the room and they made a way and they presented this guy to Jesus. Well, what, what did Jesus do, right? So what, what did Jesus do? The next verse, it says that as they were lowering the guy, the next verse says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Another not what you think moment. Because everybody was expecting, because Jesus had been known to do all these incredible miracles that Jesus is going to say, you're healed. Now, come on, get up and walk. But he said something totally unexpected. He said, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. See, this man's need was more obvious to Jesus than it was to his friends or to him. This statement says something about our own spiritual needs. It Causes, it caused a controversy in that home that day. Because look at verse six, it says, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there and they were thinking to themselves. That's the key word, thinking to themselves. Why does this fellow, speaking of Jesus, talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? Well, see, oftentimes what brings us to God isn't the real issue that we have in our life. I don't know if you thought about that, but there's this tension that's presented in this story between a physical need and a spiritual need. And oftentimes what happens is this, the physical needs in our life, whether it's pain or suffering or depression or loneliness or a divorce or a loss or something, that physical emotional need is the thing that drives us to God. But God sees deeper than just our circumstances or our pain. He sees our soul and he wants to reach deep into our soul and bring healing deep within us to a place where we can walk whole again. Jesus saw that this man could be healed. That was no problem, but he would still live with shame and guilt and a disconnect from God. See, God always cares more about the relationship with him than anything else. And that's hard for us to believe. Because if you find yourself in a crisis, the thing that we care about most is the crisis. But what God cares most about is the relationship. He wants to connect. See, we often believe that our physical needs are the most important because they're the most obvious and they're deepest felt. But God sees something different when he looks at you. He looks at your being, your soul. He wants us to be 
right with him. He wants to get rid of all of our guilt, all of our shame. He wants to provide forgiveness. And to be honest, unless you're eat up with guilt and shame because you've done something bad and there's times when all of us are feeling that way, our presenting need oftentimes isn't the most spiritual. But he wants us to live with freedom. And he says, he says, but I want you to know, here's what Jesus says in the next verse, I want you to know that the Son of Man, now he's claiming, Jesus is claiming here to be God. He says, I want you to know that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and he took his mat and he walked out in the full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is not what they thought was going to happen. Keep in mind that the most important thing to Jesus was the forgiveness of sin and the right relationship with him. But to demonstrate that he was who he said he was, God in the flesh, the Savior of the world, he healed this man. He had full authority to forgive, and he had full authority to heal. He was proclaiming that he was God, and faith was the key. Faith was the key. So what's the thing we take away from this? Here's the thing. I think we've got to be a friend like this, and we have to identify people in our lives that need God's compassion and mercy and forgiveness. And we have to see ourselves as having a role in that process. Now, I'm not talking about being creepy or being confrontational or cramming the gospel down anybody's throat. I'm talking about being a caring, loving friend who recognizes the biggest thing that all of us need is Jesus, is that we need a relationship with our Creator, And it's not about your good works or your behavior. It's about God's grace and his mercy and his compassion and his kindness. And there are so many people that are suffering in this time of need that are doing it alone. And they're wondering, does God really care about me? Does God see me? Does God really understand the pain in my life? And you're the person in their life that can assure them that he does see you and he loves you. And you're the person that can be the person that connects somebody outside the faith with Christ, who's waiting with open arms to accept, to forgive, and to heal. And you're the person, I know you'd like to relegate that to me as your pastor, or to the church, or to some organization, but the reality is you are the person that God's put in other people's lives to be a conduit of grace and mercy and truth. And you get to be the person who drags your friends to Jesus. This is what our church is all about. You see, my worst nightmare as a pastor is to have a house, a church building, full of Christians listening to me, that there'd be so many people in the house that you couldn't get one more person in the room, that we'd have to add services and there'd be standing room only. And all of us would be focused on the great teachings and we would miss the people who are really needing to be there. And so I wanna make sure that our house is a house that looks outward, 
that we have this outward focus, that we don't forget why we exist. This time of the COVID and we can't gather together has really been good in this way. We've been able to see that our function and mission as a church are people who are outside the faith. And I want to be a redemptive force, a loving force, a force of mercy for those who are open to it to say, God cares about you. And I want you and me to take up this mission, right? We can relate to the paralytic because we have friends and family who need Christ, who need to place their faith on Jesus. And you're the person in their life that can do that. So this is, this is the role of followers of Christ, I know you think as a Christian follower that you're supposed to learn how to be a better Christian, but, but your real role is to be a redemptive force in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your school. You, you, what God's called for you to do is to be a, a vessel of mercy and compassion and truth that you're the one that shares the love of Christ with other people. This isn't the role of the church. Your job isn't to learn more, to do more, your job is to be like Christ to your friends. This is what love your block is really all about. We have this idea of loving your block, meaning there are people, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of people, in your neighborhood that are on your right or on your left, and you don't know their names. And what I were encouraging you to do is do something nice. Take them some cookies Knock on their door and say, hey, in this time of COVID, I just want to check on you. How can we help you? And just care about other people outside of your normal circle of the people you hang out with or your friends. We have to care about the outsider. And we have to do everything we can do to get them to a place where they can experience the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ for themselves. This is, this is what we're all about as a church. And I, I hope, I really hope you'll, you'll grab a hold of this. I hope you just won't wait till the day where we can gather together in the church and sing songs together and hear amazing teaching, right? What, I, what I'm really hoping is that you'll see yourself as a missionary in your neighborhood or in your school or at your workplace, in your life. And there are people that are paralyzed by circumstances and difficulty and trouble. And you got the answer. And Jesus wants to help. And he wants to use you in the process. I wonder, and I got to close. This is it. This is all I got to say. I wonder how those friends felt after that day when they were climbing off the roof. And that man picks up his mat. And he walks out the door. And everybody was stunned and amazed. I guarantee, well, I don't know this, but here's the stuff I make up. I guarantee you those guys were giving each other high fives. They were going, can you believe this? We dug a hole in the roof, lowered the guy down, and Jesus heals him. This is amazing. And I just think they got as much out of this deal almost as the paralyzed guy himself. They saw God as the answer to their friend's problems. And we need to do the same. I hope you will. Let me pray for us. Father, may we be concerned more with the people outside the house than inside. May we have an outward focus. May we care. May we not be obnoxious or confrontational or arrogant in any way, but humbly serve our community in a way that demonstrates the love of Jesus. May we be real with this and understand that all of our needs, not just our friends, but our needs, my need, 
is for you and to have a right relationship with you. That's only done because of Jesus. And if you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Christ, you should do that. All you got to do is say, God, forgive me. I want the forgiveness this paralyzed man experienced, so forgive me. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and was buried and he, was ro- he rose again. And I want to follow him. It's not a promise to be good. It's not a promise to go to church. It's just saying, God, I want to be in your family. God, thank you for accepting us for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.